Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. The king is dead. Long live a bunch of new kings, we hope. I'm Rosa and I'm joined by Billy, Charlie and Tom as we bid a final, and in Tom's case, extremely unsentimental farewell to Harry Kane. Thank our lucky stars, he didn't win a trophy literally the day after he left and look to the future with our new captain and his band of brothers. We'll pick some winners and losers from the draw at Brentford, look ahead to United, check in on Spurs women and the Women's World Cup, and of course, give you our weekly culture picks. But first, a massive shout out to all of you for your contributions to our Hometown Glory Ultimate Kane Leaving playlist. 142 songs, 10 hours and 6 minutes of pure, epic, heartbroken wallow. You guys are the absolute best. And so is Charlie for putting the whole thing together. Charlie, how are you feeling? What an undertaking. Um, I mean, it was an emotional time anyway, but being forced to, you know, go so deep into our feelings through music um, was taking it to a whole new level. But as you said, Rosa, um, our wonderful listeners came through over 10 hours, we had everyone from Lauren Hill to Barry Manilow via Adele, The National, Nancy Holloway, Blur, Scissor, Joni Mitchell, Boyz to Men, Dolly Parton, Radiohead, Lana, Elton, Roberta Flack, and many, many, many more. Um, it's available on Apple Music and that other green streaming service. Um, we'll share the link again on our socials. Um do listen just because there's some incredible music and also i'm sure some of us are still feeling a little bit obviously not tom some of us are still feeling a little bit raw about the departure of harry so that is there as a an ongoing resource for you to dip in and out of whenever the uh the grief takes hold i definitely did over the weekend i really i had moments where i was like i just i just need to feel all my feelings again and i think for me I feel so much better than I thought I would. And that is definitely in large part down to the fact that like he didn't win that like Tim Pot trophy the other day. I think we were all braced for it, weren't we? And all the fucking banter that would come. And then we didn't win. I was like, oh, okay, okay, this is all right. But I know, I know I'm just for me, I'm just going to feel sad about it for quite a long time. And it's just going to be a sort of low level grief. But like, I'll be okay with that. I feel like it's the sort of pain you can just kind of live with. Tom, where are you at with all of this? Well, look, I think you've got me wrong to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I think... But just to a certain extent. To, yeah, to a certain extent. I am, yeah, as I've explained before, I'm not particularly sentimental. Um, you know, when we danced around kind of Poch coming back, I think that came out. Um, I feel like it's been like a privilege to have, to have watched him for so long. I think I always thought he was going to go at some point. And then in terms of the kind of sentimentality thing, we move on. Like, nothing lasts forever. If you don't want to be a Spurs player, cool, go. We got, considering he had one year left, I guess we got all right money for him, really. Um, It would have been a bit embarrassing to have our greatest ever player leave for free next summer and potentially leave to one of our rivals, so, yeah, I think we move on. 
Uh, I'm excited for the for the Ange era, and it's a good time to just to rip the band-aid off or whatever the phrase is. What also did help was that um, I went to a music festival this weekend. So while it was all kicking off, um, I was travel travelled down to Dorset and was at a festival that literally had no phone coverage whatsoever. So oh my god, bliss! You're just out yeah, of it. It was blissful. I kind of saw the odd text from you guys and the odd social post, and then even the really emotional videos just wouldn't load. So I could read the text, <laughs> but I couldn't watch. I still actually haven't watched Kane's full leaving video, and I haven't watched the club's like highlights tribute, which I heard was really good. But also I came back from said festival tender from a, from a couple of um, big nights out. Uh, so, yeah, it's for the best that I haven't watched them. And, uh, yeah, having no phone signal for the weekend was quite timed very well. The video definitely, like the clubs one, really did me actually. It was quite low key, which was necessary. They didn't go all out for it, but it it, it had enough for us. Like, oh, gotta go lie down on the floor again for a little bit. I think one thing I will say is, you guys, like, I resisted this for so long, and I, you know, I maintain I would have liked another year, but since it happened, I'm really glad he's not in this country. It's like, important. It's really important, not mm-hmm. least because, like, it's a reminder, I think, even watching the Super Cup final, that there is no league that is as uncool as the Bundesliga. And, like, that. Re- <laughs> I know, like, it's a bit scroogey to sort of laugh at, like, what is clearly supposed to be a silly cartoony video, but that weird, like, sing-song Kane welcome video the Bundesliga did. And, like, it's just... And I'm not saying the Premier League is particularly cool because the Premier League is gross on hundreds and hundreds of, of four hundreds of reasons. But the Bundesliga is just so unbelievably uncool, man. Like everything about it is just like dead naff. And it's sort of like reminding me. And I think also the fact that we had this, we've had this kind of like cool reboot seemingly as well with like Sonny as captain and Madison and Romero as the vice captains. We've got this cool away kit and the video they launched today was really good. And it seems like we're sort of like tapping back into remembering that we are supposed to actually be the sort of slightly, you know, one of the cooler clubs when we want to be. And maybe, you know, Harry was holding us back from that. And Hugo, he was holding us back as well. And all all of them get lost. Was that convincing? I don't know if it was that convincing. <laughs> I, I bought it very, very briefly. <laughs> no, you weren't. You, Harry was holding us back. <laughs> Billy, from our, from, our, from unlocking our call, perhaps, that we, you know, the playing yeah. side will go on to. Billy, how are you doing? Because I felt really terrible because I feel like I dragged you over to my side of the debate. And for some reason, I actually had a, I actually believed for a little while that because I'd got you over onto my side that that meant he would stay. That's how powerful I believe you are. <laughs> yeah man that was the thing like i, I was so I was, i've spent 90 percent of the summer like being like certain that he's gone and then within the last three days before he go that was when i decided that he was going to stay and then obviously that is when he just left so and that kind of heartbreak was obviously inevitable you know we sort of that's what we do as tottenham fans we always break our hearts in different ways um but i was actually surprisingly over it quite quickly like i i think the leaps the leipzig game really really helped um i think I kind of was saying before, I just want to, obviously this whole trophy thing is going to come very soon. I believe it come in May or it's going to come on Sunday. 
and it didn't happen on Sunday or Saturday or whenever it was. And um, <clears throat> it's going to happen in May. Obviously, they'll win the league. I, I don't think I don't think they've ever probably gone trophyless for a season. You know, in in like, sort of ten, twenty years or whatever. So it's going to happen. Um, but it felt really good. It felt really, really good that they didn't win. I know that's really bad. So I, I genuinely want Harry Kane to win everything with Bayern Munich. I really want him to win the Champions League. I want him to get all the trophies that he deserves. But in that moment, it felt really good that he didn't win one. We had had a long day, man. We had had a long day. Yeah, and the knives at the end of it. And yeah, and I remember you. you, One of your tweets was talking about you know we had Arsenal playing on that day. There was all all these kind of things that were sort of knocking us back as Tottenham fans. So just to have that really really small victory. And what was annoying about it was there were so many like accounts online already even before it even happened, getting their tweets out saying you know he's been at Bayern Munich for one day and he's already won a trophy. And then it didn't happen. So I was really really happy about that. Um, But I think the biggest reason why I'm over it is is what Tom was saying is that. We're now looking forward to a really exciting era. And if we weren't going into that, say, for example, this extrapolated into the Nuno summer, it would be a completely different picture. But I'm really, really excited for what's to come. Um, And now that I've felt what it feels like to lose Harry Kane, I do know that I would I would not be able to stomach it if it was if it was for another Premier League club. I would not have been able to deal with that. It was it was really really painful for a club that I will never ever have to watch a single football match of. Um, but for a Premier League club, it would have been unbearable. So um, it's been a mixed emotion weekend, but I'm overall I, I think we got um, it's about as good as it could have gone. I think, and it, you know that was never a good thing, but it's about as good as it could ever have gone. And I think we did help ourselves actually in ways that. Uh... Like normally we don't always help ourselves when we get like really into our feelings about things. But I actually think on this occasion it helped. Like we just went into it. We all like committed to it. We knew we were going to feel devastated. We didn't like, there was no hiding from it. There was no, it's fine. We don't care. We made a fucking playlist. (laughs) (laughs) It's also been at least two years in the making as well. I think Tom and I, Tom and I were working in the same office the day that, the fee was agreed. What was that Thursday? And um, and we were sort of saying to each other, like, you know, we have sort of to quote Roman Roy, kind of pre-grieved, I guess. And much like Roman Roy, I think most of us prove that no matter how much pre-grieving you do, there'll still also be a massive outpouring of real-time grief as well. But you know, this this had been in the post for you know ever, ever since the sort of original Man City saga. So for me, and I think it's sort of what I was saying a little bit, albeit jokingly, about you know Sonny taking over as captain and just uh, having Madison and Romero suddenly look really engaged, and you know Madison becoming sort of Mister Tottenham within a few weeks has really helped massively as well, I think, and being sort of bold enough to take the number ten jersey and all that kind of stuff. We we sort of need that energy, I think, and even you know the sort of clips that are going around today of Sonny leading all the players over to the away end to do the huddle and Madison revealing that that was something Sonny had texted him the night before to arrange like I I think we've really lacked that kind of engagement from the sort of leadership group if you like if if you think that it has been Larice and Kane for such a long time and both of them have kind of checked out on Spurs really for you know a good little while and that I think has been a real problem. And I think even if we didn't really know it at the time, I think now it's kind of becoming evident to me that we've really missed that. We've missed that desire from the players to connect with the fans. And, you know, I think there is a fracture between the fans and the players, or there certainly was last season with the booing. And I think some of the online abuse that even now players like Dyer are receiving, I think is, is really disgusting actually. And I'm hoping that, the players now, 
you know, not that it's necessarily on them because they shouldn't be, you know, their teammates shouldn't be receiving abuse simply because they're not informed, if you ask me. But I think there's a there's an effort now coming down from the manager, I think, to to rebuild that relationship and for the players to have that desire to try and rebuild it. So I think that's a really exciting thing that has also helped quite dramatically with this, like, right, we needed to draw a line under this. We need a new era. We need new energy. It's all good. What I really loved was how Ange just seemed to understand all of that instinctively. The way he said fans are going are gonna to grieve in their own way and it's not for us to tell them how, like how to feel, but we have to show them something. We have to make those connections and it comes from us. And I'm, I'm so grateful for him, man. I just, the fact that it could have been two years ago with the Nuno mess and it's now with Ange, I do feel like, you know, we're cursed in a lot of ways as a football club, but I think we've actually been sort of quite blessed right now. Yeah, I mean, can you? Ima- I can't really imagine a, a better manager to to sort of deal with this in world football, like on a sort of PR level. Like he just, the way that he was talking in that press conference, the way he's been since, um, the way that he's handled the whole situation in the first place. Um, for example, can you imagine his press conference was obviously uh, um, was it Saturday morning? I think there were days of all bled into one, but it was on the Saturday morning when not obviously the bid had been accepted and it was just um, waiting for him to fly to Munich. I think it was yeah. Friday. It was before. Friday morning. Yeah. Friday, that's, that's why I was, I was kind of shocked that he was happy to talk about it because he could have easily have just said, nothing's been confirmed yet. I'm not talking about it. But I think the fact that, like you guys are saying, like that he took it upon himself almost to... Yep you know, be dad and have the chat and, you know, put an arm around the fan base and talk us through it all, I think it was massive. And can you imagine if that was Conte? Like, can you imagine if Conte was doing that press conference? Like, been horrific. He would have resigned been, on the spot. Yeah, he would have resigned. And, like, it's just like, he, uh, honestly, I hang off every single thing that he says. Like, I just... I know, I know that we you know we're we're sort of damaged goods at the moment, and we want to be hearing these things, and we're sort of all we're looking for that connection because it's been so long since we had it. But I just think like he's a master, he's an absolute master of public speaking. Like I think I, I don't, I struggle to think of many better speakers in in world football than him. Anyway, like um, obviously you've got your sort of theatrical managers that make headlines all the time, like Mourinho and that sort of that sort of ilk. But in, on a sort of personal level, on a sort of you know. Empathetic level to the fans and all that, all those kind of things. I, I honestly think he's one of the best talkers in the game right now, and I think it, it couldn't have been dropped on the lap of a better manager to have for us. And um, I think again, as we're talking about how we get over this, I think you know, I think having Ange there is a huge, huge factor in that too. I think, like you said as well, I, I love how straight talking he is. He had that there was that Lo Celso answer a couple of weeks ago where one of the reporters asked him, "Oh, there's reports in um, in Italy, I think it was, or Spain, um, that you really like Lo Celso. And he was like, "You don't have to go to you don't have to go abroad to get the answer on that, mate." Mate, it's always mate, isn't it? But yeah, g- genuinely the same. When my sort of patchy messages at following like little tidbits were coming through as I got text messages every 12 hours hearing that Ange had said you know we've been planning for this for a while it's no surprise was genuinely very reassuring and also like you said with Conte and even Mourinho um, it didn't always feel like the board and the club were on the same page as the manager Um, so to hear him kind of 
being reassuring, but knowing that, you know, he's very honest and he's not just towing the club's line as well, I think was was amazing. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a small, I mean, maybe not a huge part, but a small part of Ange that probably appreciates the fact that this gives him a completely, like, clean slate at Spurs. Like, he's not really under an awful lot of pressure like he would have been had Kane been here and he would have had every single game, well, you're going to have to get top four and win a trophy or Harry Kane's going to walk off to Chelsea or Man United for free and that's going to be hanging over you and the fans are going to be, you know, devastated and that will be your fault because you won't have delivered success. And I just think there might be a part of him, particularly if, you know, if we do do some decent business in the next couple of weeks and can reshape the squad further in his image... I, I really wouldn't be surprised, particularly looking at his his sort of back history of rebuilds and he seems to enjoy pitching up, you know, staffless. There's a crisis swirling around him. He's he's the guy for the job. And this is probably, you know, if he pulls this off, it will be his, his masterpiece. Yeah, I totally agree. And I also think it takes the pressure off us as well. Like, I, that's what I really felt. And like, we should get into the um, Brentford game in a minute. But that was like my overwhelming feeling watching the game on Sunday was it just didn't feel so agonising to me as basically every Tottenham game has felt for what the past uh, five, six years, like minimum, where it's all mattered so much. It's all been so emotional. It's always felt like if we didn't win, like we were going to die because we we had to win because – well, first, you know, we we had our beloved coach, and then he was very emotional, and then it, and it was Kane, and we had to win for him, or or he would leave, and everything would kind of turn to ashes. And now it just feels like this is okay. We can just go and watch our football team, and it just doesn't feel like life or death anymore. We just get to watch some. What we get to see, hopefully, is some good football, an idea that something that it's going somewhere, that there's a kind of plan, there's progression. And and that's it. Like we've been to, we've watched those games before, and a draw has felt like a disaster, and it just didn't. It felt good, right? I felt like the Brentford game was the beginning of something rather than the threat of something ending, which it's felt like for a while. Like it's you know, if we don't win this, then Kane's going to go. If we don't win this, then we don't get top four. Arsenal get top four. If we don't win this, then. Poch is going to get sacked or Conte is going to resign. This felt like the beginning of something and potentially the beginning of something quite fun. And that was a really lovely sensation once we'd settled into it because it was a bit hairy to start with. Um, and yeah, it's going to take a little while to get used to uh, being quite so ambitious on the ball every time we get it. But I just felt like this is the beginning of like the next chapter and all of these new exciting players are here for us to like potentially fall in love with. And even some of the older ones seem like they've, you know, recaptured their love for playing for Spurs or they're stepping up and taking more responsibility. And it's, um, I'm, I'm really, really excited, genuinely. So we said we were going to pick, we were going to each pick a winner and a loser from the Brentford game. So, Charlie, who is your winner? My winner is Mickey van der Ven. Um, he of the two or three training sessions before he was thrown in. And I think the, the fact that he played, I think, speaks volumes for our coach as well, because it would have been really, really 
easy and tempting, I'm sure, for him to have gone, I can't play, you know, I can't have three of my, is it three? Well, three of the five, including the goalkeeper sort of defence, being brand new to the Premier League, away at Brentford, a really physical, tough, low block, speedy wingers, like nightmare to play against team. But he did. He picked Destiny and he picked Mickey, who, as as I said, had, what like completed a couple of training sessions max. Um, I think it took me around six minutes to get confirmation that, yes, indeed, here is my new Yan. Um, here is Yan 2.0. I think it's... You were asking for him a pod. I, I'm, I'm sure on this very pod, <laughs> towards the end of last season, you said, where's my new Yan? Where is he? Here this he is. is all I, this is all I want. This is all I want. Um, I'm so happy I think for it's, you. <laughs> I know. And yeah, Billy, you were saying to us today, like I think we all just imagined it was going to and of course he's going to have some dodgy moments I'm sure and it's going to be up and down for him because he's 22 and he's new to the league and all the rest of it but and you know and we play a very aggressive way of playing that's going to put a lot of pressure on the on the defense at times however like he's clearly really 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 fucking good and he's got every physical attribute that I think you need as a center back in the Premier League and yeah he just looks like yeah he's got that slightly sort of gallopy running style He's got that lovely ability to thread those sort of bullet passes up the pitch in that sort of unflashy but effective way. And, you know, and he's like incredibly good looking. I, I tweeted. Uh, I yeah, this is going to be my favourite thing of, that you do this season, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tweeted when he signed that he looked. So to quote my own tweet, which is not a nice thing to do, is it? But I said, uh, Mickey looks it's a really like a good tweet. <laughs> Mickey looks like the handsome jock in a teen movie whose heart of gold is unlocked by a beautiful girl who happens to wear glasses and is into art. And um, and I was thinking about she's all that. I was also thinking a little bit about um, Euphoria, but not. But then I was like, but he's not going to be evil like the horrible bloke off Euphoria is. But he um, he's just great. And I think Romero seems to be into him as well. Like Romero was, I think he like replied to a Instagram post about saying about how good Mickey was with a load of like fire emojis or something. Like I feel like they've got the makings of a really good sort of odd couple kind of buddy movie comedy sort of detective pairing the two of them, like just the chemistry I love. I'm, I'm so in if, even his squad number I found bearable. I was like, okay, maybe 37s like, mad enough that I can cope with it perhaps I don't know just love him love him love him he's Carly, my Carly please don't get started on the numbers <laughs> it's what the it's what the people want Tom the amount of, <laughs> the amount of tweets I get about it we'll special, this has become, my, just this just has become my legacy kind of brain man style uh just reciting numbers and, well if and anyone players. wants to do a hometown glory squad number special uh <laughs> of our listeners and come on and talk to me about squad numbers. I'll take a day off work and we can, we can spend seven hours doing it. Does 37 anyway. have any heritage whatsoever? Cause obviously 38. Harry Kane. Harry Kane's Harry first Kane. number. 37. Okay. There we go. Asked and answered. Yeah. Also Danny Rose's first number as well. Someone told me, but I'm not even sure if that's true. Cause he was wearing, was he wearing 25 when he scored the goal against Arsenal? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going right now. <laughs> Could be hours. <laughs> so, do you you do not think that then that 
Tim Sherwood is accurate in his criticism that Van Ven is is quick but wooden. <laughs> I was like, I don't. I actually, when I sort of read the the kind of like full quote, it's actually it's actually not as stupid as it sounds. I sort of understand what he means. He kind of moves really fast in one direction, but isn't necessarily the most mobile. I don't think I agree with that, but he did at least caveat it with, "I don't really know anything about this kid," so he wasn't sort of pretending. That was my favourite bit, yeah. and I feel like most of Tim Sherwood's um, offerings around footballers end with him admitting that he doesn't know an awful lot about who he's been asked to talk about. The thing is, I think he's he, he is a little bit like Jan in that there were points with Jan where despite him being so elegant in so many things that he did, I think there was something about his running style where it could, like he was sort of, he didn't look like he was moving particularly quickly at times, but he actually was. He just sort of looked quite awkward in how he ran, I think. Um, and I think Van der Ven's sort of that, but on like speed because he's like a like an actual sprinter. But he's six foot four six foot five so of course he's going to look a bit like gangly and you know he's got these enormous long legs and long arms so um like I said I think there's going to be the odd moment where you know he's going to be left one-on-one with you know I don't know a Marcus Rashford say if we're looking a little into our crystal balls for the weekend where it could get a little hairy and there might be a penalty or a red card perhaps at some point but I just think he's just like he just passes the eye test, doesn't he? Much like, you know, quite a few of our debutants. I think you just, you know, there was one moment very soon into the game where he just sort of got the ball, just took it on and just like blew past someone, played a lovely simple ball forward. And you're just like, yeah, okay, this is a step up. We've we've got the Romero partner now. We're done. And I also, just one last thing on him. I think he really, it really rammed home to me the importance of having a left footer. And I've been boring on about this all summer, but I'm sort of so thrilled that Postacoglu seemingly agrees in that if you want that balance and you want to have the ball a lot and you want to be building up from the back, having a left footer on the left and a right foot on the right just gives you those, those passing angles. It doesn't create awkward situations where they've got to sort of take an extra touch to get it onto the right foot. All of these things, I just feel like it's so like round pegs, round holes. And like I said, I think the other week, for Postacoglu to be successful, we need to give him as many round pegs for round holes. So big tick for Mickey. I'm so excited about him. Yeah, just don't overcomplicate it and get that boy to prom. Tom, your big winner from the weekend. Well, I was on the way back from the festival in Dorset um, on Sunday and listen to the first half in a car with an Arsenal fan. Oh my um, God, on the radio. On the radio. How was Jesus Christ? You are you have so much more patience than me. I, I can't listen to football on the radio either. There, it's too there, stressful. There wasn't anything I could do. I mean, it was the only option I was in. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> I, I couldn't get out at um, on the services at the M3 and say, do you know what? I'm not doing it. So my my uh, Arsenal friend Dave was in the back chuckling, particularly when they, I was sort of still celebrating the first goal when they were awarded the penalty and he was in the back sort of um, just letting out little chuckles. And uh, yeah, it wasn't, that wasn't ideal. Um, But I made it back for the second half, quite hungover, thinking, please let the, the house be free. My wife and kids were still out. So I watched the second half in total peace, which was amazing. Um, and yeah, so my winner is just Ange because I watched that second half 
absolutely aghast at us having so much possession and wanting possession. And I think, think something I pr- probably moaned about so much last season on, on the podcast was Conte Ball and just not, you know, playing teams like Bournemouth at home and not wanting possession. Uh, Brentford are a good side. We don't have a great record against them, I don't think. Um, and they're hard to play against at their place. Um and we, yeah, we were really good. I think I loved that Ange put so much trust in the young, relatively inexperienced players. Um, he got Basuma back to Brighton Basuma. Um, I've got to give a big, big shout to him. Um, I thought he was absolutely excellent. I hadn't seen him that good since he played against us for Brighton at, at, at um, our ground. And Tom, you hadn't seen a minute of pre-season either, so this must have been like quite the shock for you to suddenly see Spurs just yeah. stroking it around. Yeah, like, and... who is this team? Yeah, I can't imagine how <laughs> weird that was. Hung over yeah. from a festival, yeah. having been in a car with an Arsenal fan for the first half. <laughs> and and also, like, a new formation, like seeing two centre-backs rather than, you know, Conte's three centre-backs. And, and the two... inverted full-backs. What did, um, we need to talk you, about them at some point. You explained to them last time, but yeah, the, uh, that's, they did a brilliant job and like a flat back. Well, I guess it's not a flat back four anymore. If like a square, I guess. It? It's, yeah, <laughs> who knows? It's a fluid back four. But yeah, I, I thought like the formation, the trusting young players, um, Angie's tactics were absolutely spot on. Um, so yeah, my winner is definitely the manager, and I'm really excited for more possession and, you know, just excite, genuinely exciting football because we were so gaslit by certainly Conte and Mourinho, right? Yeah, somebody, um, it was not like a heat map, but like a sort of position map, I guess, comparing um, Conte's last game and Ange's first game. And obviously Conte's like, everyone's kind of behind the halfway line and in this game, we're all like ahead of it. And you know how like you go to games and there's always some dude shouting forward. I feel like I might actually turn into someone who's going to be like, no, but backwards, backwards. Like it's actually a little bit scary. I was watching it going, I feel like there are times when you guys could pass back. It's all, it's all right, but they obviously don't want to. So that's fine. Billy. Um, yeah, I just want to say, so we had 70% possession yesterday, which is our highest ever in the Premier League, um, which is pretty crazy really when you think of this, our very first game under a new manager and it's away. Um, against you know a side that can definitely cause problems for you. So yeah, that was our highest ever possession in the Premier League. And at one point in the second half, it was eighty-one percent, which is like insane. Um, so yeah, I I, I can't believe that we're so, we're sort of seeing those differences straight away. Um, in our very first game, I think it's really encouraging about Ange that we're seeing that sort of thing. Without our greatest ever footballer as well, like twenty-four hours after he's gone, you know the emotional impact of that, let alone the. You know, I know Ange was talking about, you know, we've been preparing for this all summer, but, you know, the reality is that Kane had been playing all the friendlies with the sort of A team. So Madison, for example, hadn't played a minute with Richarlison. Um, you know, Richarlison had been very much the sort of B team striker. He had not played with any of those guys. And I know we'll probably get on to Richie, but I think that's probably one of the reasons why it looked a bit rusty between the front three. And I know we're not on to the sort of losers bit yet, but I think to spin it round, I think that in itself is a massive, you know, sort of sign that we should allow a little patience perhaps. And, you know, what they psychologically had to rev themselves up for, for that game 
you know, a new style of football, all these debutants, Harry Kane's just gone, everyone's waiting for them to fail, all of this stuff. And, you know, I just feel like not losing, obviously we would have loved to have won and I think we deserve to have sort of nicked it second half with all the ball that we had and we were starting to create chances. But just to get out of there without defeat, I think was was massive. Yeah, I think... Um... It was kind of the ideal, they were sort of the ideal opposition, really, in a way, weren't they? Like, I'm quite glad we didn't have to be at home first because I think maybe the emotions just would have been too much. But I think you're right, you could see then that the midfield is the one that has been kind of playing together and everything else is just, is is either sort of new or a bit rusty or whatever. Um, Billy, who's your big winner then? Um, so I'm going to kind of cheat slightly and amalgamate that's, that's my move. Together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to, I've learned from the best and I'm going to say <laughs> Fabio Paratici for two two main reasons. One of the reasons is um, we're finally sort of seeing the fruits of a lot of his transfers, um, which is another way of basically being able to say that I thought Destiny Udogi was absolutely unbelievable yesterday. Crime um, does pay. Crime does pay. Crime does pay. And whatever sort of criminal activities have led to us signing that guy, they are all absolutely worth it because I just, I know Charlie was saying something about Van der Ven, but this guy's 20 years old and making his debut in the Premier League, you kind of forget at the moment because we've kind of had him for a year, but he's not really, he's not, you know, he's not any more, he's not any less new than Van der Ven, really. And he just looks like he was sort of born to play in the Premier League. Like he just sort of offensively going forward, he was incredible. Defensively, he was very, very good as well. Um, I think we've got a real, real gem on our hands there. So that's certainly one. And then you've got, I know, I'm not going to steal anyone's thunder with Basuma. I think we'll talk about uh, a bit about Basuma in a minute, I'm sure. But um, Basuma playing brilliant as well. And, you know, signings like Saar, even players like Emerson that Paratashi has signed. I, I just think it's overall our recruitment over the last three or four years or however long it's been since he's been there has improved like markedly. We haven't even, you know, mentioned for a few weeks Benton because he's injured, but when he comes back into that midfield, like we we have got such a, a wealth of good players now. Um, and I think it's thanks to the, the recruitment drive that he sort of started. So that was one of the reasons for him. The second reason that he was actually there yesterday, which I find hilarious. Um, I sort of imagine that he'd, in his ban, he would be like sort of back into Italy, sort of hold up somewhere. But he's now going home and away with Tottenham, which I think is brilliant. And a friend of mine, I'm sure you guys saw on Twitter, a friend of mine posted a picture of him yesterday. And um they were sort of talking back and forth and he actually said my, my one of my friends said to him um you know uh, are we working on any deals at the moment and fabio said back to him uh yes we are and then he said oh, he corrected himself and he said no sorry yes the club are working on deals so he's obviously still working for us i, I don't think that's a particular surprise for anyone um if you look at some of the transfer targets that we've had um i think it's it is kind of semi-legal as well because I've, apparently he's doing it on like a consultancy basis um but I, I, the signs seem to point that he's still going to be basically the rdof uh when he comes back because I, I know his band got reduced in the first place and they could do some football activity but i think it's going to end up with him coming back to tottenham um and i just think since we had him our recruitment has been so much better like if you look at this, the squad of players that we have now, it's you know I know there was a picture during the rounds last week that of that Champions League final. Only one of them um, remains in Son, uh, really, and um, of, the, of the players that started that game. If we assume that Loris is gone, and um, it's a totally fresh Tottenham, and I think he plays a large part in that. So yeah, my winner is uh, Paratici, which is a, a roundabout way of saying I'm really really happy with a lot of our players at the moment. Yeah, I'd, I'll I'll let you have that, Bill, because actually it's it's totally fair, and I'm really I'm so glad because I've I've been so annoyed at like the nonsense, like there's so much 
more serious criminal activity going on in football and the fact that our guy got done for just a little bit of cooking the books seems crazy so i'm glad they've just basically managed to breeze past that my rosa, rosa just one word on uh, the serious criminal activity chelsea mm-hmm. the word is chelsea yeah i'm honestly if someone could actually explain their financial activity activity to me i don't understand it like i guess it's saudi i, I read today that um UEFA had cracked down this season on this ridiculous if we give them like 10 year contracts then the whatever it is like amortization yeah is they were fine meant to be whatever. closing that loop but but they they have but because Chelsea aren't, aren't in European competition this year they can do what they want so oh my God, these fuckers me. these fuckers every single way and every single season they find some there's some way that they managed to wriggle wriggle out of and these now, things it's incredible the Premier League came out today and so now they're now closing that loophole as well so they're like but isn't it going to take like two seasons or something yeah like, exactly it's like, just it's ridiculous man. my favorite when they announced casado yesterday my favorite thing is that it said he signed to 2032 with an option of an extra year so there's an option <laughs> till 2033 2033. That's what your deal with your kit manufacturer is supposed to be, not like a central midfielder. This is insane. Aren't Liverpool complaining about this? I feel like there was. Uh, well, they've been done twice in a twice in a week by them, haven't they? Now with um, Lavia as well. I mean, it's quite funny because there's no fan base that are more hilarious when they're annoyed about something than Liverpool. But I mean, just. Oh, what the what the Christ is happening? I just can't. It is. It just just seems to be one of those things where it's just like everything is so blatant. It's all completely in plain sight, and that's how they're getting away with it. And I don't normally condone grass culture, but in this instance, it's very funny. I know that they self-reported themselves to the Abramovich year as well. I think they were kind of like trying to um, distract UEFA by oh look how bad we were a few years ago. Just let's let's do what we want right now. So yeah, I just. that's just crazy. Like, um, what is it now? 813 million in two windows or something like that? Jesus I think it is. Christ. It's so funny. It's all since bat has been raw, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. And it, 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 it can't be allowed to continue, frankly. I saw and, someone and joke yet. that when you look at the list of players, the I think um, Fafana, Wesley Fafana from Leicester was like one of the first people they bought. And then like the next window, they bought another player called Fafana, um, and someone was like, did they do that just in case they brought the wrong one? They just were like, oh, we'll just better get the other one just in case we messed up, just to cover up. <laughs> so there's just like, like you know, yeah. I mean, like, aren't Casado, Casado, um, you say Casado, I say Casado, Enzo and Lavia, like all basically the same, like deep lying midfielder as well. Like, and I they're just... not in any European competitions either. So when are these guys all going to play? I don't know. I mean, I, the, my a Chelsea I, mate said to me, "Well, the plan is that all that is like a four-three-three, and all three of them will play in the same. You know, that's that's the midfield basically. They've just bought a brand new midfield. I guess they did. They lost Kovacic, Kante, Mount. So I suppose they are replacing a bunch of players. But you don't need to don't spend try and make it make sense. Hundred million on each of them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a reminder what we're up against as well, isn't it? Because this is a team that aren't even in Europe. So it's going to be tough out there this year, guys. It's going to be tough. But do you know who is going to help save us? 
is James I don't know, Madison. Rosa. Do you want to tell us about I your really winner? I really want to tell you. I really <laughs> want to tell you. Um, I love him so much, man. I've been. Re- I had the whole argument with Ollie about it, where I was just like, "I'm ready. Give him the number ten shirt. Do it now." And Ollie was weirdly sent like more maudlin and sentimental about it than me. He was like, "I'm not ready to see it on anyone else." I was like, "I'm ready. Like, let's do this." And the very next day, lo and behold, I'm so so. I was extremely buzzing about that. Um, he's just actually perfect, isn't he? And I don't. I feel like I always knew he was a good player, but I didn't really pay that much attention to him because I don't like Leicester. And I didn't like, I'm really bad at watching other teams that I really dislike and being in any way sort of complimentary about them or looking at them with a sort of, <laughs> you know, or like objective eye. Um, I'm always looking for faults. So I just don't think it ever really, like obviously loads of people knew about James Madison, but it didn't really sink in for me until properly watching him. And more than that is what you said earlier, Charlie, about him becoming Mr. Tottenham, like immediately. He seems just so buzzing to be here. And I initially I was like, is that just, is he coming to play with Kane? And that's made him really happy. But no, I think it's being at Tottenham, which is a little weird, but it's so delightful. <laughs> it's almost as though Kane leaving has like made him happier because I think he knows now that he's like more of the man and... Yeah. He wants that responsibility. There was a nice set of quotes before the game where he was talking about like, this is just a great fit. And, you know, I could see myself wearing wearing that white shirt and this is the right stage for me. And Tottenham have a history of players like me. And he just seems, and I think it speaks to like, what a bright sort of thoughtful guy, which I don't know that I knew this about him. I didn't know because I just had him in my head as this like jumped up sort of, quite shitty tattoos like bit of an idiot always scored against us so I kind of hated him isn't but he, actually like not that isn't he a massive Ericsson fan as well he right? is yeah so just he to, spoke you know, about Ericsson which you know would ordinarily count against him but actually in this case <laughs> and I mean how many times did we see that Ericsson free kick for Romero's goal like that whipped him mm-hmm. all Kane or someone had to do was just get ahead on the end of it and it's a goal on the six yard line like that set piece delivery, hopefully we're going to see loads of that. And just, I just the close control. Sorry, this isn't my winner, Rosie. You go. No, I'm just honestly, so this is it's like poetry, though, isn't it? It's, it's close control. It's vision. It's anticipation. It's the intelligence. We really, we have missed it so much. Honest to God, it's like we've just been staggering around in the desert, and here is this like weird little pixie oasis. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's also exciting is he's still only 26 as well. I yeah. think he's 20, 27 in November and, you know, two assists in his first game. He he can will get goals as well. I've no doubt that he'll, you know, he'll reach double figures this season, I think, in goals. Um, and yet, you know, still room to room to grow and room to improve at that age he can learn from son he can learn from Ange, uh, you know the other coaches and players around him um even perisic for example another senior um player who's you know done it all um and he, i'm sure he's keen to learn as well because he seems so ambitious and so excited to be at tottenham like which is amazing <laughs> I think what's really nice is this feels like a very sort of old school football move, doesn't it? It's like, okay, he played for Leicester for ages and then they, and we didn't sort of nick him off them in a really horrible way. Like they got relegated. I feel like it's okay. Do you know what I mean? And that's the sort of normal transfer. 
you know, in a way that like we haven't had something like that for ages. It's like when like a Carrick from West Ham or something, that sort of vibe. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Where it's like a sort of it's like, like, like Alde- up, it was really. like Alderweireld when he had a seat that yeah. I was like, he felt so us. And he had that season at Southampton. It was like, oh, you know, it'd be good for us playing with Jan. That other Belgian guy that Southampton have, he'd be really good. And it just made perfect sense. And I think Madison at Spurs makes perfect sense. And I'm, I just feel so like grateful that he is so happy because I think, like I was saying earlier, that like Sonny, Madison, Romero kind of triangle of leadership. It's just such a shot in the arm. Like, you know, seeing Romero looking, I mean, I know he only played like 15 minutes and the poor bloke had to stagger off. Like he'd been in a heavyweight fight, but like he just even seems different as well somehow. And I think this, yeah, like so much positivity. It's it's just what we needed. He looked so furious to be taken off actually, didn't he? He really, and I loved Ange for that so much. Mm. Being like, the player is not the one you listen to in that situation. And I honestly, as much as I defended Conte, like I don't think he would have done the same thing. You know, I just think that Ange is all about just being sensible in those situations. He's about like brave attacking football. Mm. But you can't take these kind of risks without, with with people basically um and especially not when you've got someone like ryan mason i think in your coaching yeah. team as well yeah, um exactly. so yeah actually that leads into um my um, ultimately my winners and losers this week i'm being incredibly basic about it i've like got james madison as my winner and i think like the ref like the officials in general were really really shit like i don't you know penalties whatever you see them given but i feel like half our team was booked within like the first 10 minutes for nothing. And I don't know a hundred percent if this is true, but it does. I don't think it should have been on our guys to take Romero off either. That seemed like quite a serious dereliction of duty. It seemed like this was sort of classic premier league refereeing where everything is so fussy and booking for like dissent, but actually not looking after players properly. I think it was pretty abysmal really all told. And it, also, if they've got video refs, well, there's a fourth official in the ground and other people from from the refs association or whatever. If the video refs are looking at a million different things, as we know they are because of VAR, why are they not also looking at clashes of heads? You know, mm. like, you, like you said, the, the refs should be making that, those decisions and not leaving it to the managers because otherwise you end up in that situation where... 20 minutes later, you realise the player is fucked and, and has concussion. It's crazy. I mean, he looked absolutely terrible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, there was yeah. a shot of after him sitting the on the bench and he looked so... I, yeah, I didn't see that bit, but there was a shot of him afterwards sitting on the bench and he looked so groggy. I was even, like, this mm. is... Thumb, even his thumbs up were kind of yeah. a bit meek when he was trying to tell <laughs> Ange to leave him on. Um, it was a real sort of baptism of fire for our lot in terms of like, you will now get booked if you complain. Like if you talk back to the ref, you're going in the book. And it's weird because I always thought like that would be an initiative that I could get behind because, you know, players can whinge and it's really annoying and whatever. But like all it seems to have done is just give the refs like more like bloody like main character energy like it's yeah. like it's not it's a value so refs like yeah. it's not you're you're just here to make the game flow like you don't have to do some like theatrical dressing down and you know producing a yellow card just because someone's a bit 
you know, pissed off because they've been playing for 80 minutes and they're fighting to get a goal and they might be a bit frustrated. Like, it just seems like the referees just design these things so that they can be front and centre and no one cares, guys. Like, no one cares about you. Like, the the added on minutes for time-wasting and booking people for time-wasting, great, like, up for that. But the whole, like, if you get you get a yellow card, if you even like roll your eyes at a ref now, just seems it's going to be so many suspensions. So but many. also, it's properly like this is real, like terrible teacher in a teen movie energy as well. It's just like like talk back to me. It's like one more yeah. thing, you get another detention, another detention. Yeah. It's like these are grown <laughs> ups, man. And I do think this. I feel like this was sort of what. Um, Varan was getting at the other day, right, when they released a statement about kind of player well-being and mental health and about how they basically said, could like, we we physically cannot play this number of games. It's actually terrible for us. And instead, um, they were like, no, you're going to play loads more games. And also, if you get upset about it, you'll get a booking. So none of this is is for players, but is for players benefit at all. It's just nonsense and pettiness that I don't know but I also don't even think it's going to help I think ultimately like things are going to boil over aren't they because you can't you can't you just can't treat grown-ups like this I don't think anyway I'd yeah one thing I did I, see though I don't know if you saw the video there was um something in the football league somewhere um actually I didn't realize was now a rule um someone got fouled and they did the yellow card gesture and now you get an instant booking if you do that gesture and they ended up getting sent off um, so I'm glad that that has been banned because that's yeah, a, a real horrific. blight on our game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he got it fouled is... and then got sent off for doing I... the, the classic gesture. I watched like, I watched 10 minutes of the Wolves Man U game before we started talking tonight and a Wolves player got booked for time wasting, taking a throw like 36 minutes into the game. And, um, like, I think this is going to be quite a seismic change in, you know, players, having to sort of toe the line with that kind of stuff, perhaps, which that's good, I suppose. But like, I was like, God, that's a bit harsh. Like he didn't even seem to take that long. He just couldn't find anyone to throw it to. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. yellow card for you. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, it'll just be interesting to see if it's consistent because, yeah, uh, you know, there are teams that, that we know do like to surround the ref. And we're going to be back in that. Um, we're going to be back at White Hot Lane and losing one nil, and some goalkeeper is going to be taking absolutely ages, and absolutely nothing will happen. I just, mm-hmm. I can guarantee mm-hmm. you that's what's going to happen. And then but we might get eighteen to- minutes at the end of the game to try and score <laughs> if the first <laughs> half from Sunday's anything to go by. Just want to go home. <laughs> um, Billy, your loser from the weekend. Um, so my loser is Antonio Conte because um, fuck him essentially, yeah. Yeah, fuck him essentially. Um, because when you see Basuma play like that, as he's played all preseason, that's not a surprise to anyone. As he played all year at Brighton, that's not a surprise to anyone. Like what that what were we doing last season by not playing him like in that kind of way and in that position? There's I know the quotes were doing the rounds today, obviously, in light of that performance where he was saying, um, Basuma is not tactically ready, he's behind Hoybier and Bentonker at the moment. It's like, come on, that like, he was such an incredible Premier League midfielder. And if we're talking about these sort of, you know, Casado and uh, Lavia and all these players that are going for a- absolutely outrageous sums of money now. I would rather have Basuma than all of them at the moment. Um, I'd certainly rather have him than Lavia. I'd certainly rather have him than Casado at the moment. Um, I just think he's an incredible, incredible player. And I just don't know what we were doing. And similar sort of things. I know Sarr didn't really feature yesterday much. Um, he came on at the end, but... 
like the way that he was treated after the um, after the AC Milan game, that he never came in again. And I just think some of the things that are already happening in one game of Ange are starting to make him look really, really foolish. Um, and the main one of that is Basuma, because I thought he was absolutely outstanding yesterday. He was obviously man of the match, um, fully, fully deserved. And I just think it was such a waste of last year. And it could have been a very, very different season if we'd played this incredible midfielder and given him a bit more free license. And I just think like, you're just like um, cutting your nose off to spite your face completely by not giving this guy a license. He's an, an electric player. He reminds me a lot of sort of Dembele because he'll sort of beat two or three players when you don't expect him to. And he's one of those players that like is invaluable to any team. You, if you've got a player that can sort of take two or three players out of the game, that is, you know, it's worth millions and millions. So yeah, I just can't believe what we were doing last year. And um, I, I can't wait to see Basuma a lot more because I think I personally would predict right now that he'll be our player of the season. That is no. a, a bold shout, but it's, yeah. Not according to certain tactics people on Twitter I saw today who were saying that Basum is not as good as we all thought because he lacks um, a killer sort of final pass. So apparently these days to excel in a Premier League central midfield, you have to be able to tackle an opposition player, beat three more, um, then slip someone in on goal, and then maybe get on the end of their cross and score as well. And only then will you be good enough to uh, meet the levels that some people online seem to set for these guys. Robots, man. They all want robots. I will say this. I did read the minute by minute of our game. And I think it was Daniel Harris doing it. And he's and he was like, oh, I don't think, I don't think Basuma's that good. Basically, and then loads of people emailed him. Were like, "How dare you? What the fuck's wrong with you?" And he was like, "Oh, Basuma's got like a high ceiling, but it's like not consistent." Basically, I'm like, "I don't I, like. I, I admire your confidence to feel like you could know that." Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess we're going to see, right? I mean, I yeah. I would love to say that I'd seen enough Brighton games with him to uh, to know whether or not that the level we saw at Brentford is what we can expect every week, but not that you can use preseason as a guide, but he was, he was playing that way every single preseason game as well. So I think this is his midfield, isn't it? It feels like he's been given the keys. And it's funny on, on that exactly that you mentioned, there's a, a thread going around, obviously Brighton have lost an awful lot of players over the last few years, um, mostly to Chelsea, to be honest, but um, they, there was like a thread of Brighton fans and I'm pretty much unanimously, unanimously, they said the one which um, hurt the most was Basuma just because I think he gave them some, you know, the most incredible memories. So I think from, from what I gather online, from a Brighton perspective, like he is their one that um, was a really, really special player during this time. So yeah, I think um, I just really like watching him play football. That's exactly the kind of player that I like him, Madison, you, you don't want these sort of boring players that we've had over the last few years. You you want a, someone that t- gets you off your seat. And I think, you know, Basuma, Madison and Benton Club, we've got three players that excel in that now. So uh, I just can't wait for that midfield, man. When that happens in October or November, whenever it happens, um, I think it's going to be an unbelievable midfield that we've got. Who do you want to see until then, though? Because I don't feel like Skip had the best day, did he? I, that, that was... Per- Personally, I know uh, I'm not going to say. I know what Tom's going to say later. I'm not going to mention that one. But I think the only other question mark I said I, I would think from that game would be Skip as well. Yeah, I thought he was a bit of a passenger at times um, and looked a bit lost out there. Tom, who were you going to say? Well, 
I think I'm going to preface this by saying it's early days and I'm not, you know, everyone needs time to bed in and get used to Andrew's system. Um, but the front three were not amazing, were they? They didn't, they definitely didn't click Kulu, Son and uh, Richarlison. But yeah, I think obviously with Kang gone, the big question mark is over Richarlison. The loveliest guy ever. I saw earlier that he um, has given some money to uh, community projects in Brazil uh, to help people learn English. I just I like, I love him. I want him to come good so much. Uh, as I said on the last podcast, when I said it wasn't a hill that I wanted to die, and I didn't want banter from um, rival fans at the end of the season after, you know, he's one goal last season and, and understandably uh, taking lots of stick for that. Um, as fans but yeah he his finishing was not great was it he had a couple of quite nice chances that potentially someone else might have buried um, so yeah I don't know we obviously need backup for him we've got the young Argentinian lad come in we might we've been linked with Gift or Ban um, who is banging them in in uh, Belgium I think uh, so yeah we'll see kind of how much time he gets. We've also got Solomon who didn't come on, um, who is an option in that front three for sure. And Perisic came on, didn't he? And um, played in the front three, which was cool to see. But yeah, Richarlison, I love you. I want you to come good. But yeah, it wasn't the best performance and uh, he needs goals and confidence, I think. And I think um, I saw an interesting stat um, from Nathan Clark earlier, I think, which kind of contextualises it all. I think we might have to get used to this for the next, you know, under Ange, because um, so last season at Celtic, Kyogo, who was the Celtic striker, averaged 14.9 touches per 90. Um, I think Richarlison had 34 yesterday, which is by far the lowest on the pitch. And um, so Kyogo was the lowest among centre forwards in the whole of the SPL. I think I think it's like by design on part of the system. I just don't think the centre forward gets that much. He's sort of there to sort of, you know, make runs and get create a lot of um, space in the box for other players. So I think it's something we're going to have to kind of get used to. And I think to work in this system, you're going to you're going you're not going to be involved in absolutely everything all the time. And you're going to have to sort of make the most of the one or two chances that you get. And he had that one kind of chance where he was on the edge of the box and um, it was kind of stuck in his feet. It was not the easiest chance, but I don't think we're going to see games where like Rich Arlison is getting chance after chance after chance. I think under Ange, the sort of the, the attacking intent comes from the wide players a lot. And um, yeah, so I think we might have to get used to it. And I just think if it's Richard, like Richarlison, is is it going to frustrate him over the next few weeks, like not being involved in games? Um, I think it's an interesting thing to consider and what maybe watch out for over the next few games is how much a centre forward. And I, you could kind of see it in some of the preseason games as well. I know it's a ridiculous thing to say because Harry Kane scored four games and one four goals in one of them. But I think it was the the second preseason game against the Lions City Sailors. He didn't really have that much involvement at all. And I think it might be like a systematic issue with the system rather than um, necessarily completely to do with, you know, Richarlison having a terrible game. You know, under Andrew, we just might see the centre forwards. They just don't actually get that much service in that way. It might just be a different way of playing that we might need to get used to maybe. Well, maybe it's um, they get service, but they don't do much else, if you know what I mean. They're not like yeah, coming deep. It, and obviously yeah. we're... You know, we're used to the polar opposite, right? We're used to Kane coming, getting the ball, being our sort of De Bruyne and Harry Kane and the same player. So I think sort of for us looking at a striker through new eyes is going to take a little while because we're so, so used. We've had a decade of Harry Kane being this 
sort of all round magnificent playmaker, come striker, come come poacher, come everything you could want. So yeah, I think it's it is going to be interesting, and that's the Kyogo stats are fascinating. Um, and Richardson's just going to you know he's going to need to become a poacher, and he's going to need to be happy to sort of occupy centre backs, to pin them, to be a pain in the ass, to open up you know to run the channels relentlessly, all of that stuff. But he's got to start poaching a few as well, and hopefully. You know, he, he obviously wasn't that fit for the Barcelona games. He missed the Shakhtar one, didn't he? And he played the Barcelona game. So I'm hoping it's a bit of rust with him as well. But as ever, and I feel like we've been saying this from the moment he joined, he just needs one to like go in off his arse or off his knee or something. And you'd imagine the sort of confidence lift that would give him is would be massive. Fingers crossed, because, yeah, we all love him so much on this podcast. And I think it's just also about us not getting in our own heads about it either and thinking, oh God, now Kane's gone, we're going to go back to the sort of horrible days of, of like searching for a striker who could score more than three goals. My own, my one other worry is Sando and, and it's not about him as a player because I thought I would be worrying about him rediscovering his form. I'm slightly concerned about how like wide he is. That's the system that's, though, isn't it? I know, that's but I don't, know if that, I don't know if that suits him. Well, I, I reckon he's going to become the forward. Quite okay. the, the striker, quite. Mm. I think that partly because he's been made captain, and you can't really not pick him. Um, partly um, because I don't think he's necessarily suited to being maroon, sort of on the touchline for the entire game, like you say, Rosa. And partly because I think he might actually be the best finisher we have in the squad, and we've got a system where that number nine is there to finish off the chances. That's what they're there to do. And I think that's arguably as he maybe is slowing down a bit and is losing that sort of, you know, mad acceleration to get by his guy on the wing. Like maybe you want him in the box being that master sort of poacher, striker, finisher of chances. So that's my prediction. Yep, I think that is a... Decent prediction. Do you want to give me another one, say, for this weekend against United? Well, I'm going to give you my loser for the weekend really quickly as well. Oh, I didn't. sorry. Okay. Super, super quick. My loser was Alan Smith because when I saw that he was doing the co-commentary, I was like, mm-hmm. of course Sky have given this game to Alan Smith and we're going to have to listen to him droning on about Harry Kane we're going to lose and he's going to love it. And we're going to have to listen to him talking about what a spent force we are. And we're, you know, bottom half of the table team, blah, blah, blah. And he had no choice by the end of it, but to be quite complimentary about us. So up yours, Alan, you didn't get to have the fun you wanted. So he's my loser. Yeah. Excellent one. I thought he was actually, yeah, reasonably kind on us. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was going to say all sorts of terrible things and yeah, really relish it. And I was like, why are you being nice? This is weird. I was I was slightly concerned he was actually feeling sorry for us and that made me feel a bit ill. But um, maybe he was just being vaguely professional for once. <laughs> Jonathan, sorry, Jonathan Pierce, also a massive loser because on the Match of the Day 2 commentary, he seemed to sit, think that um, Van der Ven, Mick, that Mickey uh, could have given away a penalty when actually he got that ball so cleanly. Um, on that tackle in the box. Yeah, all these clowns don't know what they're talking about, unlike us. I'm going to go back to you now, Charlie, so you can't escape because you love a prediction. How mm. are you feeling about You guys are all going next weekend, right? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm going to be away um are you feeling how are you feeling about it I mean I'm just really excited and the closer I get to it I'll become nervous that you know I'm going to watch sort of Emerson getting roasted by Rashford like he did on the weekend for Brentford's second goal and they'll exploit all that space and blah, blah, blah. But for now, I'm just so excited to see these players and this system. I'm excited about the welcome to N17 TIFO that we've got organised and paid for by the fans for Ange. And You're doing that on Friday, right? Me and Billy are going down there on Friday to help lay out all the bin bags, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. I can't wait um, to see it. And yeah, I just can't, you know, we were saying last week, but I can't wait to be back in N17 and going to the pubs and getting some food before and just to watch that brand of football. You know, it'd be interesting because we've not played yet, apart from Barcelona in a friendly, a team that will sort of also want the ball and will, you know, potentially put us on the back foot more than we've seen thus far. So I'm, I'm just fascinated. I think I'm just trying to cling on to the sense of like this is really exciting we're at the start of a journey there's a lot of players that I could see myself falling madly in love with very quickly you know the coach is someone we're all on board with um so I think we're going to win 3-2 that's my prediction bold wow I really I'm I really I think we'll probably lose but I don't mind I just don't mind I feel like these are just like growing pains and it's okay you know and we've lost to United a lot. Um, I feel like the last time we beat them was like the hilarious like COVID 6-1 at Old Trafford, which now just feels like it didn't happen. And then that we lost to them like twice last season. Oh, the Nuno then... one. No, we drew, the last season was the 2 Oh, we drew, we drew. Yeah, we drew, yeah, yeah. it was 2 all. But the Nuno one scars me deeply. Yeah. Uh, I stormed <laughs> out like before the final whistle. I can't remember yeah. beating them other than the six one. Is that the last one? I can't remember. I can't That's remember definitely the last time we beat them in like recent yeah, years, I, I think. Yeah, the two all we were quite good in the two all, I think. Um and it was quite a fun game, the last home game against them. That was but one yeah. of Ryan's, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go for four three actually, because I think it'll just be chaos. Although saying that to, to who, Tom? To us. But um saying that it is encouraging that seemingly Wolves were the better team against them tonight, although United nicked, nicked to the win and potentially Wolves should have had a penalty. Um, but it sounds like they weren't that great tonight. Um, people saying that Garnacho didn't play very well and maybe Sancho or that Hodgland, Hoyland, uh, comes in this weekend. Oh, he didn't start. No, I think he's been injured. Oh, yeah, it's got the... the- there's this he's weird thing, isn't it? He's yeah. and but they're also like trying to like protect him because he's got mm. some other issues as well. Like, oh, what? Like, I feel so sorry for you, United. Um, Billy, what are you saying? Um, I'm not. I honestly don't really have much of a clue where it's going to go. I think it might be like another two-two, another score draw. Um, I'm not really that. You know, I'm not really thinking that if we lose, I don't think it's the end of the world at all. Considering they're like a year into their project now, they spent six hundred million since Ericsson has been there. Um, and you know, it's, it's just one of those things. It's come very, very early in the Angera. So I'm not, I'm just looking forward to it. I just can't wait to see what happens. Like, I think, um, as Charlie was saying, it'd be interesting to play against a team that's not going to play a low block against us and see how that works. I think we've got a real, you know, tough game of in sort of 
in terms of pace because of Rashford. Um, I can imagine Rashford getting through on the counter quite a lot. So it'd be interesting to see how like Van der Ven and people like that cope with it. Um, I, I just think it's going to be a, a score draw, 2-2. Two, two. I feel like that would be great, actually. Uh, that's that's enough for me. I don't have. I just don't have crazy expectations for this season. I just want us to that's it. feel proud again and feel yeah, just excited. It. It's, the, yeah. it's the expectation thing, which is I think is really really important. Like if we'd have lost this game, you know, under Conte, and as you know, to to bring it back to the beginning of this podcast, Harry Kane playing, you'd think this is awful. We're not going to get top four. Harry Kane's going to go. But now let's just see how it goes. Just, you know, it's, a, it's essentially a free hit for us. So, um, and I think it's really, really nice that, that pressure is gone and hopefully the players will respond to that. I think the atmosphere will be really, really good. Um, so we could, you know, who knows what might happen when the atmosphere is good at White Hart Lane, anything can happen. Yeah. It's going to be really, really buzzy. I'm very excited for you guys. Um, Wrapping that up, let's move on because we've got another rolling in the tweets this week, which is very exciting. Based off the fact that we essentially have like half a new team this season, it seems, which is very thrilling. Um, This is about debuts. Billy, over to you. Yeah, so we asked... Um, to mark the forward Spurs debuts at Brentford, Bill wants to know what are your all-time favourite Spurs debuts. Um, so we've got a lot here. I'm, I'm going to race through them now. So thank you as ever for everyone that did get in touch with us. Um, we've got literally hundreds, so I'll try and get through as many of them as I can. Um, Bill says um, Eric Dyer uh, goal in stoppage time. Player at right back for Poch immediately comes to mind. Um, this one came up quite a few times as well. Um, more money, more problems. Says, remember nothing about his overall game, and he's got a video of the Mabazella Mab- goal. Um, only that his goal made it officially made made me a Spurs fan that day. There you go. Um, so he became a Spurs fan just from seeing that that goal. Um, Ollie, now Rosa did predict this was going to happen, and it did happen. Um, a much told story about Eric Dyer. So Ollie says, Eric Dyer versus West Ham in 2014, um, last minute winner in front of the away fans. Um, Poch's first game, Kane assist. There's something to cheer everyone up with. Um, and Rosa, how many times roughly would you say you've heard that story in your entire relationship with Ollie? Probably about 2014 times. Yeah. <laughs> there, you <go. laughs> there you go. It's one of those ones that everyone will always remember, though, because yeah. you know, it was beginning. Hopefully, that's the kind of thing that we're about to see now. The beginning of an era like that would be great. Um, Adam Nathan says, was his home debut, so maybe it doesn't count, but nowhere in the history of football has played better than Postigo against Leeds in 03-04. Thought we'd sign the best player in the world. Uh, Tim, stock formation, says Danny Rose, Jurgen Klinsman. Let's not forget Musa Saibs, majestic 40-yard crossfield pass on his debut. I never will. Um, That's Dan the kind Tom, of stuff I, was, I like. I yeah. was there that day. That was against Bolton yeah. at go. home. There I remember that. Dan says Danny Rose is clearly the best but for amusement factor I remember texting a mate that Sergio Rebrov was as good as Gaza after a few delightful touches against Ipswich now I'm really hoping that you know we've all been seeing I like these... liked that one because I was like I have to remember this forever yeah. <laughs> I really hope that we have the we've had these incredible debuts this week and I hope we don't look on back on that and like say do you remember when we m- were talking about that Udogi was as good as like the best left back in the league and then turns out to be terrible so hopefully um, that Rebrov one is not a sign of things to come. Um, Jay Hassam says, Klinsman, not a bad way to introduce yourself to the Premier League. Q iconic celebration. Um, we've got some more shouts for Eric Dyer. Carl Brown says, Danny, Danny Rose. Um, scoring a buddy Holly from f- 35 yards. Nothing comes close. 
Um, Gamer says, just want to throw in Dombali in there, which is one that comes up a lot, which he did score on his debut against Aston Villa, which is you know, crazy to think that we're, you know, after what's happened since that, um, that did happen, but it certainly did. Um, 320 says, top three are Rose, Bergwijn versus Man City, and Eric Dyer versus West Ham. We love a debut goal at Tottenham, don't we? It does happen. The amount of times it's happened to us over the last few years is insane. Insane. Um, a couple of shouts for Mido as well. Now, I have to confess, um, I've never actually heard of this player. I, I'm, I've never heard of them in my life, but it's come up loads and loads of times. I don't know if any of you guys know. It might be a little bit before my time. Colin Lee, um, he scored four goals on his debut versus Bristol Rovers in 1997. Um, his and mine first game. He went on to manage Watford. I went on to Eight Limes or Less Tills at Sainsbury's. Um, there you go, says David Harris. Now, th- this one comes up loads of times. I've, I've never even heard of this guy, Colin Lee. Is that, can anyone enlighten me? Is that a, sort of someone that I'm missing out on big time? I've got a blind I mean, it's from he, he made his debut in 1977, so he's before all of our time, I think. So don't don't worry. But yeah, that was there our biggest, go. I think that's still our biggest win ever, 9-0. Oh, so it's, yeah, this guy's got the date wrong then, not me, because he says 1997. I thought maybe I would have heard oh, of No that. wonder you've been racking your friends. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, how have I never heard of this guy before? There you go, that makes a lot more sense, and that makes a lot more sense. Uh, Tottenham Simpson says Dembele, which probably would have been my answer, actually, because I remember being there in that game. And it was a sort of in the midst of that beginning of the AGB period where the football was absolutely shocking. And then he sort of came on and scored. I think we ended up drawing that game. We did, yeah. Um, Norwich scored yeah. like a minute after or so. He yeah. scored. Um, um, one of his, one of his scored. only goals, basically. Yeah. And it was this classic long-range Dembele goal. We thought we've got a goal scorer and then he pretty much never ever scored again. <laughs> um, Steve says Clinton versus Sheffield Wednesday. Um, another one for Colin Lee, then Clinsmania, Sheffield Wednesday, Mabazela scoring against Leicester on his debut. Um, <clears throat> only one answer, Danny Rose. Quite a few shouts for Danny Rose. Uh, Chris Duncan says, I've got two. The first has to be Clinsman. The second is Defoe's first debut against Portsmouth. The game was a, the goal was a banger. Um, and it was a 4-3 game, but it was also my 21st birthday. Uh, this one, classic one, Dean Marnie, two goals against Everton in 2004. One of them was a stunning volley. I remember that one, certainly. Uh, a couple more shouts for Tongi, a couple more shouts for Colin Lee. But Chris Weiss says the home debut for Gaza. He scored with no boot on, apparently. Amazing stuff. Um, James Powell, and this is a game that I was at. It's actually my brother's first ever game. Uh, Dean Richards, first debut against Man United, won £70 off the first goal scorer bet. And then we ended up losing that game 5-3. I can't remember him actually scoring that game, but um, I remember that game very, very well. Who doesn't? Uh, Mido against Portsmouth, says Jacob. Um, a couple more shouts for Stevie B, Colin Lee. There we go. And uh, my favourite one to finish on, just because I've got a great story about this afterwards, is Toda. He beat his chest like a madman before coming on as a sub and pretty much instantly got booked. Um, went on to make a further three appointments before disappearing. Um, so during the Toda era, I, I managed to get to the training ground as a kid and I, I met Chris Hewton. And he said to me, um, make sure you go and get that player over there to sign your shirt because he's going to be the next big thing. And I did. And that player was Toda and um, got rid of the shirt since. I was going to say, where is that shirt now? Yeah, I definitely and do. you think Chris Hutton was just like having some fun with you? <laughs> probably, probably, but I'll never forgive him for that because he's um, not who's your who? Let's let's do rapid fire. Who's who's ours, Billy? Who's yours? Um, mine is probably Undombele as well because I was so excited at that point. Uh, I remember I was watching it on holiday in a bar in Spain, um, just on my own. And um, I thought we'd sign an incredible player. And um, yeah, I remember being incredibly excited that day, as you always are when you're watching your football team play in a bar um, on holiday. Very good. Rosa, 
Mine doesn't count. I'm really gutted. Like, I'm so, I might just, you know. Why doesn't it count? Well, because it's Ryan Mason against Forrest in the cup, in the League Cup. And like, I knew he'd already made his debut in like a Europa game, I think, many years before that. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe this was his like full debut, but it wasn't. He came on as a sub. So. Sub that like, counts. I, I love mine's, that game. Mine's a sub one. Mine's a sub one. I think a sub but counts. He'd already made his debut, so it's not really. I think if it means something to you, different eras, fun. maybe. Yeah, but then that's mine. I thought yeah. I, in my head, that game is a debut as well, to be honest. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, in that case, I'm allowed it. Fine, great. Then right. Ryan Mason against Forest scored a goal, saved us. The best bit about the goal that Ryan Mason scored in that game, the assist from one gentle Ben. <laughs> well, that, but also the fact that um, in his excitement, Roberto Soldado tried to oh, slam yeah. the ball into the net <laughs> and missed the goal. Um, after uh, Mason has scored, excellent little bit of Just comedy. Iconic on all levels, basically. But I love and um, happy retirement, uh, Roberto, as well, of course. Um, Tom, yours? I mean, I'm useless at remembering individual games. My memory's terrible. So, um, yeah, I liked Dyer and Rose, and it was probably like somewhat Lewis Holtby or someone that I got irrationally excited about when seeing <laughs> for the first time at White Hart Lane. <laughs> The amount of times that Lewis Holtby comes you know, up on this podcast. No, I don't believe there's a Spurs podcast that has embraced the cult of Lewis Holtby quite like Hometown Glory. There were so many people who thought Holtby was going to be amazing. <laughs> I don't think it was just I was me. We, we, yeah, was we were definitely in the pub afterwards going, he's going to be great. He's really <laughs> exciting. It didn't quite happen. Mine, um, mine is Freddie Canute. He scored. Oh, lovely! Against... That's a great choice. He's, he came oh, off the man. bench. We played Leeds at home. It was one all, and uh, he came off the bench and scored an overhead kick to win us the game. And I was just—I don't think I've ever been so convinced that I was watching like the next big thing. And we'd like nicked him off West Ham, and they were really annoyed about it. And I was just like, "We've got our own Henri. Like he's—he's he's incredible. This guy's incredible." You were right. It just didn't happen. At and, he, <laughs> and he was incredible for Sevilla. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he was. He was the next big thing, just not for us. Uh, and so it goes on yeah those were all really cool guys uh, it will be interesting we'll like you know reconvene I guess in five years to see which of our <laughs> which of our current debutants um, fit into which box um, I'm going to move on now to the women because today we made a sort of signing um, I actually thought it was a full signing when um uh, Spurs women um, tweeted it out. Um, it turns out it's a season-long loan. It is Grace Clinton, and we've we're, we've loaned her from Manchester United. Um, she played. She was playing for Bristol City, um, who've just been promoted. So she's a midfielder. Um, I think more of a sort of attacking midfielder. I feel quite buzzing about it because I'm just quite excited to have like got a player in, any player in. Um, and I like attacking midfielders, so that works for me. But I know that some people are a bit down that it's a loan. She's not going to be able to play against United. It feels like we're just kind of giving time to someone who, if they prove to be any good, is just going to go back to their parent club. I'm a bit more positive about it anyway, just because you just don't know what's going to happen, right? She could turn out to be really good for us and then stay. You know, United have loads of players, so they might not want to back. Whatever, anything. I'm all about just anything being possible. It's just nice to see a bit more movement. I do have a slight concern 
that because Scott Munn still hasn't started his job, has he? <laughs> and I sort of feel like part of his remit was going to be the women's team. And I'm a mm. bit concerned that nothing's happening because he was there was literally there. no one. He was one... at Brentford as well, apparently. Yeah, but has he started work yet? Weird, no. no, it's like some weird gardening leave issue. I basically, yeah. I basically what happened was that he, he started working too early and then they've, City Group got pissed off so they're not letting him work until... I think it was that photo of him and Levy at the yeah, airport. Yeah, I do it? as well. I actually think it was. For God's sake. Yeah, and... <laughs> so I'm slightly concerned because I feel like it was his remit to kind of do more with the women's team. Um, but anyway, this, the women's season doesn't start till the 1st of October, so we do have a right, lot of time. Perhaps she's yeah. probably doing it anyway. Yeah, I, you, know, um, you know what, Fabio, go for it. I saw, I think it was um, it was Spurs Women blog tweet out some report from a Swedish um, women's football writer who we've been linked apparently over there to, I think, three members of the Sweden World Cup squad who our new coach has worked with before. All um, the Swedes, let's do this. Uber blonde ponytail us up, <laughs> come on. That's... Yeah, fine. That's fine. As we long as players. it's not, I just, I just don't want it to be the like, you know, we get the sort of like Rebrov <laughs> version, basically. <laughs> Sweden are really good, though, right? Sweden are really good, right? They are really, really good. They yeah. are in the semi-finals now because they knocked France out. So, which brings us nicely to uh, the next bit, which is checking in on our one is left at the World Cup, which is obviously our beloved Bethany England. So England are going into the semi-finals. They're going to play. Are Australia. we going to win? Are we going to win, Rosa? What's you reckon? No, she's making a face, guys. I am making, making a face. face. I think we. Listen, we're good enough to win, um, but they just might have that kind of belief, the wind in their sails. Um, I think Sarah is back now as well. Like I imagine she'll start. So, like, it might just all be coming together for them at the right time. I mean, we have had to play in some quite, you know, against some sort of hostile crowds. So I don't necessarily think that's going to be a massive problem. But I think it will, like, a problem for us. I think it will obviously lift them. So... Are they the only team that's beaten Serena, like, so far as well? Oh, quite possibly, yeah. They beat us just before. So it's not, yeah. Yeah, I just uh, it really it could it, it could go. For, I just I don't have like a feeling about it either way. I think mm. I was I was quite surprised. I had a really bad feeling about the Columbia game actually, but then we got through that. So what do I know? I just want to hopefully shout out a bit because you're our expert in this field. So <laughs> that was really that's not great for us. <laughs> I just want to shout out my friend um, Fee from Twitter who is uh, lives in Australia but is English, and um, her daughter goes to school in Australia and she got a letter to say. Um, that the children are allowed to wear green and yellow on the day of the game and her daughter is going to wear red and white so shout yes. out to that brilliant <laughs> show of solidarity come on yes <laughs> amazing I love this good girl good girl um, yes yeah, so the game's on Wednesday I can't watch it because it's my youngest fourth birthday so I don't Aww. yeah I know it's cute and really annoying frankly what time like, what? is it on Rosa? it's, it's like 11 it's 11 11.30 kick off so yeah I'll be eating cake somewhere at that point i imagine that's a good Um, trade this is not a bad trade i guess it's okay i just like checking my phone um so you guys will have to watch that for me and report back um all right good football chat let's finish up with culture tom quickfire what are you listening to reading watching etc 
Uh, well, I didn't really have time to read, watch or listen to anything at home because I went away for the weekend. Went to Giles Peterson's festival, which was called We Out Here. And the sets I loved were by Romare. His, his set was incredible. Nabai Garcia, Mr. Thing, Goldie the Legend, um, Near Archives, Kruder and Dorfmeister, who I'd never seen before, who were just brilliant, amazing oh, kind of... Throw- yeah honestly their set was incredible like technically just incredible djs david kumu he was really good in this sort of psych rock band thing uh groove rider obviously another drum and bass legend uh and my friend nana who is a very very cool dj if you ever see her on a festival bill very nice billy um so i feel like i'm so far behind everyone else in the world but i've only just started watching the bear and um, pretty much boxed off season one in like three days. And um, yeah, I'm absolutely in love with it. I think it's brilliant. Um, I, obviously, I, I heard a lot about this this sort of one-shot episode that was, uh, I think it's episode seven. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. And um, it was one of the most stressful things I've ever seen in my life. And um, I, I'm, I'm at that point now where I don't know whether to watch season two and like try and spread it out a little bit or just blitz through it in a day. But um, I've heard that season two is really good, so I'm really excited for that. So uh, I know everyone already knows about it. I know everyone's already seen it, but I hadn't, and it was the bear, definitely. Bear season one, that is. Yeah, we just finished um, watching it. We were really late to it as well, and we finished watching season one a couple of weeks ago, and we've only done the first two episodes of season two. And as I said to you guys earlier, um, believe like you'll – when you watch this, you'll get it. But I was like, now I'm gonna, I'm just gonna change all my handles and social media to Jewish Lightning. <laughs> I, I, I started calling I, everyone cousin, so that's my. Um, yeah, that's I just, my, I yeah. love Richie so much. He's like my my absolute guy. He's also in Andor as well. By and, the way, um, Desi, our forever Desi from the King. Girls. King re Desi. re Richie. I was thinking, and oh, actually, I can't say this because you guys haven't seen season two. Don't worry. When you guys have watched no season spoilers. two. No spoilers. We need to have a big bear chat. I think Ash has watched all of season two, so he's already caught up. But I think season two might be one of, like, I'd put it in my top, like, five seasons of TV I've ever watched, I think. It is so much better big, than season big, big one. Shout. Wow. Okay. The the really? last like the last four, the, the last like five episodes of the second season are perfect in my opinion there's they're just absolutely magnificent they're so different and you, it's one of those rare shows i think where considering how compelling um calm is the lead character and like i you know love spending time with him and i want to know more about him and he's an amazing actor i whenever you spend time with other characters i never am like oh yeah this is great but i want to get back to the lead i just love hanging out with all of them and they're all so beautifully captured and written and everything about it obviously all the chicago music that they play and it's just it's so so perfect second season please watch it soon guys so we can have a big old bear sort of spoiler chat but um yeah i was gonna say season season two of the bear of mine sorry bill I just got back from holiday, so I'm on a bit of a classic holiday health drive when you get back, and um, just makes me fucking starving, man. I just want one of those sandwiches. <laughs> all, one Chicago season sandwich. two is not going to help with that. <laughs> it's know, not gonna help. Those... Yeah, man, it's not a great, not a great show to watch when you're in a health drive. <laughs> um, I'm going to do mine really quick whilst I'm jabbering on. Um, there's an album uh, called Happy Music by Super Shy, which is a Tom Mish um, pseudonym, which is just a really like 
summery sort of dancey almost house just loads of like really lovely old soul samples um that he's got out on on the weekend on friday um and it's just lovely for the sort of late summer vibes so that's my pick check that out on friday it's an album called happy music by super shy which is basically tom mish Oh, good stuff. Um, I'm very, I've very much got my finger on the pulse here. I don't know if you guys heard have heard of a little film called Barbie. Apparently, it's it's quite big. I went to see it today. Took my kids. Um, oh, we went old, today. Uh, we went oh, today. Oh, yeah, yeah. And how did the kids cope? Because we were obviously so we were all talking earlier in the week about is it suitable to take children that aren't because it's a twelve A, so they are allowed, but with parental supervision and Rosa was on, on the fence and Rosa how did they do they did great actually um my oldest who is six was like fine like wants to go see it again <laughs> she's like I loved it can we go back so that's very cool and um we've been listening to the soundtrack basically non-stop since then as well oh, same in our house yeah, yeah. the mm-hmm. um the Dua Lipa one is the big hit currently it's the um, Ken song I think I think Delphine's like a bit in love with Ryan Gosling's Ken. So she just keeps asking to listen to um, his big number um, <laughs> over and over and over again. And then oh, she also, my she kids also are very much the, um, like the boys are boring. So it's all, it's, they're very like girl focused. So they only want to listen to the girl music. Like in general, actually, they're not interested in music made by boys at all. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think did you enjoy it i really really loved it actually i really did i thought i would and i'm very very glad i did i think it's just i really like greta gerwig i like her movies anyway um and i thought it was really thoughtful it, it had a lot to do and mm. i think it pulled it off most for the most part with quite a lot of skill and intelligence and a and lot of humor, well. a and lot fun, of humor, yeah. and it made me, and it also like made me feel a bit like tearful at various points as well. Um, yeah, I I cried a couple of times, and Emily cried multiple times. It's um, it really, it really gets to you in bits. Yeah. It? And you know, America Ferrera can basically sell me anything, and always has been able to. So that was lovely, and I love like all of the Kens, they all hold like a very special place <laughs> in my heart for different reasons. So that's really nice. <laughs> um, have you seen yeah. it yet? Because I know Billy's seen it. No, I um, I need to. Yeah, I still want to. It's a real shame because Ollie was going to go out tonight and watch Oppenheimer, which I do also want to watch. We're just not going to be able to watch it together, I don't think. So I was going to be like, we've done, as a household, we've done Barbenheimer, <laughs> but we have not. <laughs> That will have to wait. Um, her, um, her next film is going to be the fucking Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, so that's like imagine what Greta Girl yeah. is going to do of that. She's that signed to do to do multiple yeah. uh, multiple yeah. Narnia films. So it is. I was going to say they've only just done the Narnia films, but it was probably like no, 15 old, years ago it was now. Really, it was quite a while ago, yeah. Um, funnily enough, I just bought my seven-year-old the box set of all the all the Narnia oh, films. Nice. I think she still might be slightly young for them but um yeah i'm quite excited for her to do to do them all because i love them so yeah mm. but yeah what a departure for greta going it's really Bird. cool though like loads of people were saying oh you know I've, i know there's been like criticism of her because she was a sort of indie darling who's got but it's like you get loads of money 
and you get to kind of do what you want and sort of fulfill a creative vision whereas rather than like scrabbling around for pennies to make your movies so why not Billy, is, is there Lady talk? Bird, Little Women, and uh barbie like that's i can't think of many directors in history that have had a better three film run than that that's pretty insane going taking on such like iconic ips in for very yeah, different so reasons was, yeah. as well and like actually and someone was basically like are you basically just recreating your childhood in film form? And she was like, oh, shit. And that didn't actually occur to me. Yes, yeah. now, she's, now she's doing like the Chronicles of Narnia. So, yeah. Billy, is there much? I haven't really seen any solid talk, but what's the word on Barbie 2? Is there going to be a sequel? I think you can almost certainly guarantee that it will be. Yeah. I know that. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure um, it will be. Um, I don't think it's been confirmed by anyone yet, but I, I, it's, it's made a billion dollars. Like, it's. It's going to be the number one film of the year. It's going to take, overtake Super Mario very, very soon. Um, so it's, it's inevitable. Which is also 100%. very cute. We watched Super Mario the other day and like my kids really enjoyed that. It was very, very sweet. Yeah, that made like an absolute shit ton of money. It made like $1.3 billion. Like, it's it's oh insane. God. And yeah, also, I saw that in the cinema. It was good. Yeah. It was decent. Good films. Yeah, I mean, you it can't... And also the Turtles movie is really good as well, isn't it? So it's yeah. been a... What, what, what a time for our kids. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and they're born, et cetera. <laughs> um, one th- thing i will say about barbie is i think charlie you said this actually because obviously there's been a lot of talk about ryan gosling and how like he's going to get an oscar nomination and stuff mm. and it's just like that's a willful misreading of the entire movie and i'm sure you said that as well because it's so obviously margot robbie's movie like she's exceptional yeah. in it now that is an actor who just because ollie reminds me of her in i tonya as well that is an actor who just oh, like I fully commits but she commits, man. So she's so, so good. good. She's just like, there's film. no, there's no like wink, wink. Like she doesn't do sort of irony no, she, in it. She's like, I'm no. doing this. I'm committing to it. And I absolutely love that. And like, if anyone should get an Oscar nom, it's, it's her, man. Like and she like, she helps bring these things to life. Like I, mm-hmm. I was reading, I, Tonya was the she, first she thing was that the, her the, production company, yeah. they bought the rights to the, to that story. And she was like, I don't have to be her, but. I'm making this film. And she was the same with Barbie. Like she said, I don't have to be in this. And Um, I doubt Greta would have been given like hundred percent creative control unless Mark back her up. So yeah. Yeah. Didn't didn't, like Margot Robbie essentially like offer the job to offer the job, offer the role to, um, Oh my God, who was Wonder Woman? Uh, Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. Gadot Couldn't, couldn't do it. So she was like, Oh, I guess I'll do it then. And it's, yeah. it's like, of course, you should have, like, you're the most perfect person to do this on the planet. Um, but yeah, it still makes me mad. Like, don't get me wrong. He is obviously, you know, he ticks all of the sort of like inverted commas, sort of scene steely bits. And he has the big song and he sort of plays it up for laughs more than anyone else. But it's her, she's like the complete heartbeat of that entire film and is also really funny and likable and everything else she's it's just like did you not watch the film or yeah, listen it, to anything it's really the funny how saying? everyone just came out and said oh ryan gosling was fucking amazing that so like, did you not just watch, what what were you just watching <laughs> i love this okay the the margot robbie stan pod starts yes now yeah <laughs> on um, that note i feel like yeah we couldn't we couldn't end in a better way guys um full of sort of scary optimism for next week I'm feeling good. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling yep. good. Um, but so far, it's not a disaster, which is all I wanted. So thanks, guys. And we'll catch up next week. Billy, we see us out. Up the Spurs. Up the Spurs.